Welcome to In Season, where we explore the farms, gardens, and wild spaces of the lower Columbia Pacific region. I am your host, Teresa Retzloff, and with me in the studio today is Jessica Schleif, who I am luring slowly <laughs> into co-hosting status for In Season, because I really, I, I love talking with her on the radio, and I feel like... Um, it's, it's just such a good match for us. And she has such a wealth of garden knowledge um, that I don't have. <laughs> and you have a wealth of all kinds of other knowledge. <laughs> it's fun to combine these it, things. And, th- really and thank is. you for having me oh, again. Well, I've been having so much fun coming on here and well, talking with you. And I always learn something <laughs> from you. And, and <laughs> I learn so much from you. And I hope that, that all of you out there learn something from us and, and are part of the conversation as well. But it just really made sense to me to kind of expand the voices here to look at gardening because so much of the gardening that, that people do here, I mean, and, and farming as well, but it involves some of the plants that I think really resonate with you. A lot of the perennials, the the woody shrubs, you know, bulbs and tr- and some trees and things like that. That I feel like I used to get to do a lot of um, ornamental perennial stuff before I started farming. And then when I started farming, everything just became about like, what's this year's crop? How, you know, how do I yeah. grow it? How am I going to yeah. sell it? You know, and a lot Which of those was things probably really important well, for the was, first year. It was it was very important from a farming point of view, but I realized I had to be, become very um, unsentimental about some plants that I loved, but it just they weren't practical for me to grow at that point um, when we were starting farming. And so to be able to have these conversations again, I feel like I'm meeting old friends when you talk about oh. some of these plants. I'm like, oh, hey, mm. I haven't heard about you in years. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, come over for coffee. Let's hey, oh, you I know. love the thought of that, of the farm plants and the, the pollinator plants so, and, and, the, and, that's part and of it the too beauty is, plants. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like, you know, once you kind of, I, I've gotten past that initial sort of crazy, like, ah, get the farm started. And now I really am stopping to think about what's the structure of not just the the farming part of the farm but the overall property and you know pollinator habitat and and we're also we've been talking about finally planting our orchard which is you know hilarious because again that's the you're supposed to do that first (laughs) and as with many things in in my farming life I'm doing it all backwards and so we're just now you know next year will be our 10th year on this property well the end of 2018 19 will be like we'll celebrate our 10th anniversary and i keep thinking about like man if we planted that orchard in year one oh that's okay i know that's but i just okay. uh, so you had time to think about it i know this is true and so um and you're not alone i think i was saying that to you mm-hmm. there's many people with small acreage or or even tinier properties that um are, are thinking about fruit trees and thinking about berries and I don't know how many you have to have to call it an orchard, but I think I told Jim Lowry at some point, oh, yeah, four trees. That's a that's an orchard. That's pretty Definitely. much an orchard. That could be an orchard. Well, and, and I think that what, you know, upon reflection, what I realized, one of the things that was stopping me was um, because an orchard or, you know, fruit trees, they seem so, they're permanent. Commitment. It's a huge commitment. It's a commitment. And I didn't want to think that I was commitment phobic, <laughs> but I guess maybe I am more so. But I, I was so afraid of making the wrong decision, yeah. planting the wrong tree. And then, you know, you're waiting, you know, five years or maybe more to see, does this thing actually fruit in our region? Is the fruit going to be healthy? Is it going to be problematic? Is it not going to like my site? 
And I, I was so worried about picking the wrong trees that well, I just didn't pick any trees. Exactly. And also, you are coming at it. Um, that's a bigger decision for you, more trees for you mm-hmm. than a homeowner that might be picking out a couple of apple trees mm-hmm. or thinking, I'd like a little row of blueberries up in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Or y- You're talking about a, a yeah. pretty large space that you're thinking about planting and I can kind of understand that commitment, Bob. And, and thank you for forgiving me. <laughs> but I, but I feel like a lot of people resonate with this. And the, the importance to me of planting things like fruit trees and berries and shrubs—they are plants that are more long-term. They provide really great structure. They're wonderful for um, pollinating insects. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of food source for them. It can be habitat. It can be nesting places for birds and perches for birds. To, to sit on as they're migrating through our region. And so I, I want to have more of this on our property and want to encourage people in our community to really think about this because wildlife habitat is so key to where we live. And when we live in this beautiful region with all of this wildlife, but, you know, as I think probably all of us have been hearing on the news, you know, over the last however long, you know, pollinating insects and just insects in general are really under the gun and their populations are rapidly decreasing. And a lot of it's just loss of habitat. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's, you know, overuse of pesticides. A lot of it's just, you know, destruction of their migration paths. And so what can we do in our region? And, you know, to me, it seems like if I can plant some fruit trees or berries that, you know, benefit them, but also benefit us, you know, maybe that's selfish of me, but I, I feel more inclined to do it. And I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, sometimes we are very selfish creatures, human beings. But if yeah, I can do God, something that's we not just want to eat, it's I terrible, want, Teresa. Well, it's, yeah, I know food is, is one of those things you can't really do without. But it's but I but I think about that in terms of like you know having something that's just purely for myself. Um, you know, like if I wanted to plant a plant that maybe I know isn't very good to grow around here, or it's an invasive or it's something like that, but I want it anyway, you know, as opposed to can I plant something that will be good for my region, that mm-hmm. will provide food for mm-hmm. myself, for my community, but also provide, you know, habitat for some songbirds exactly. and food for some bees or, you know, bats or hummingbirds or whatever. As and I think more and more home gardeners, mm-hmm. farmers, people were thinking about that because this is a way that we can we can help our bee friends Mm -hmm. and we can help our bird friends and Mm -hmm. we can also be creating environments uh, around us that are a little bit more complicated environments than Mm -hmm. a lawn yes and some roadies yes and the exciting thing about an orchard is it can represent um, fruit trees it can represent Mm. plums and cherries and apples asian pears and and so many of these amazing varieties that could possibly be successful around here mm-hmm. we know some that are and and we're, yeah we, there are, are many more out there but also the idea of working down within that orchard if you have a fenced in area and i know you're thinking about this you're thinking about berries there's so many different types of berries blueberries or or even going into goji berries or um gumi berries, berries or <laughs> um uh some of the cane berries um, and then actually working down into a perennial mm-hmm. layer perennial within herbs. your uh, orchard about, that could yeah. even be mowed. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in the uh, in the olive orchards in Italy when I was there just seeing all the little cyclamen mm-hmm. 
oh, just acres of cyclamen blooming underneath these olives. And thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, yeah, Uh being able to make guilds under Uh these fruit trees and around these fruit trees of, um, depending if you have it fenced off completely or Uh you're fencing your individual trees, um, thinking about narcissus or alliums or um, different things that can flesh out your guild. Uh, In the orchard book that I've been looking at recently, I saw one of my favorite plants, the lungwort. and and there it is and mm-hmm. they're using it as kind of a bottom story in some of the orchard and it's attracting all kinds of bee they have a bumblebee photo that's very mm-hmm. beautiful with so, the longwort and the reason you would plant these these flowering plants underneath your fruit trees is to provide additional food exactly. and forage and attract all of those insects exactly. that you hope will also then fly up to the trees and pollinate them as well exactly. or fly onto your blueberries or your raspberries or your other cane berries in the same way we're thinking about succession plantings for our visual pleasure or mm-hmm. our eating mm-hmm. needs and pleasure to have successions of things. Um, we're also thinking mm-hmm. about that with the pollinators and the wildlife, mm-hmm. having a successive um, food source. I know when you get into monocultures like the almond tree orchards, mm-hmm. there are literally thousands of acres and there is no other food. Yeah. And they're having to ship in bees that are not that happy about the situation. I yeah, imagine. yeah. And I think especially in a either on a small, small property, you know, or a garden level, you're really able to look at that more. If you can just pick one or two fruit trees for your garden, you know, being able to look at what are some other plants that you could introduce that also could provide, you know, fruit for you over the course of a season, um, but also then provide um, habitat and food and shelter for the insects that you're going to need in Mm -hmm. order to pollinate those plants. Because that's the key thing that, you know, I mean, you told me again, like what percentage of our food is it that that is dependent upon bees? It's a a significant amount. You know, I think I was saying to you every third bite of food that we eat, we depend on bees for. I mean, if we don't have pollinating insects, we don't have most of the foods that we're familiar with eating. Mm -hmm. And that's something really striking to think about. Um, Oftentimes I think we see insects as an annoyance, as something that's going to sting us or bite us or, you know, eat that fruit before we do or just be something that's like, what what is that? It's kind of freaks us out. But they are so key to our ecosystems. And um, I feel like those kind of permanent plantings that we do that can provide that kind of food and shelter are great for them. So what? So let's talk about what are some of the varieties of fruit that do well in our area? We were just talking about this, and it's so funny because I, I like you, mm-hmm. have some commitment fears about trees, mm-hmm. <clears throat> knowing mature sizes, mm-hmm. knowing if they're going to do well here. I have had really good luck with the dwarf liberties. Yep. That has just... It seems like a classic apple for these coastal regions. And it, if you if you could only plant one apple and you really wanted to make sure you were going to get apples on it, that would be the one to plant. And it's a quick producer. I've seen it produce mm-hmm. in two or three seasons in a garden and produce pr- pretty yeah. well. And it's a good tasting apple, it too. It is. It is. You know, the Brayburns, the Pippins. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine there are so many other varieties that we, like I said, that we don't mm-hmm. know about and we're researching and mm-hmm. it'll be fun to hook up Our with neighbor, other... Bill brought over a, a beautiful basket of little wine sap mm-hmm. apples recently. These little tiny red apples that are almost, they're very tart. 
And that was off of an old tree. Old tree, yeah. And that's another thing to do is like grafting. look around. Yeah, looking around at older trees and um, learn about grafting. I know I, I learned about grafting from Stomp, Scott Thompson at Blackberry Bog uh-huh. Farm. And I'm, uh-huh. I kind of need a refresher course, Scott, if you're listening. <laughs> I want to try and get together and, and maybe like talk through that again. But that's an exciting way. If there's an apple tree that you see doing really well in your neighborhood. I know I've taken a graft of my friend Jane's apple tree. She has a house on um, 17th here in Astoria. And it's a it's a gorgeous apple tree. It just produces like gangbusters. I don't know what it is. It's kind of a green. It gets a bit of pink on it mm-hmm. when it's ripe. Mm-hmm. It's not a good. It's it's um it's a good fresh eating and it's a good cooking apple. But it doesn't make a good pie because the apples kind of fall apart. It makes really good sauce. Yeah. It seems to be really high in pectin. It's good for making jelly with. Um, not quite sure what it is. You know, we have some theories. Looked at some different varieties, but in some ways, I don't care what variety is it yeah. does well out here i want to grow more and of that I, tree i i love that i mean of course it's it's fun if you really can mm-hmm. research the lineage in the home orchard mm-hmm. society and some other um mm-hmm. some other agencies i'm sure can help us with identification mm-hmm. and it's yeah. very interesting to me you talking yeah. about they don't just want one apple yeah. they want yeah so we went um uh, my husband packy and i uh, years ago went to the home, home orchard society is an organization based in portland and they um have an um, arboretum there that they um, steward and um, propagate a lot of trees from and then are also trying to save and propagate a lot of older fruit varieties, not just apples, but many, many um, fruiting trees. Mm-hmm. And they had a, they have a big tasting in the fall where you can go and taste any That's number so of fun. And I would I've really seen the inc- co-op do that a couple Oh my of goodness, times but this is so like, fun. I mean, if you can imagine like your entire county fairgrounds display hall filled with tables covered with little wow. plates of, you know, like a like hundred apple varieties, wow. you know, a hundred pears. Um, you know, cherries, um, grapes, all kinds of the fruit that you didn't even know would grow around here. And you can taste them. You can ask about the trees. You can order grafted trees. You can order just the the scion with the fruiting wood mm-hmm. and rootstock and graft it yourself to pick up in late um, winter. So it's a so home, orchard, home Orchard Society, a really great resource. And, and they do some identifying of fruit trees. Yeah. But I would definitely research and ask them how much they need to be able to make a judgment because we showed up with just like a handful of apples and a couple of pictures and they were like, that's not enough. They wanted like a dozen apples yeah. and, you know, pictures, the pictures of it in different tree. times of the year and maybe a big branch from it. Yeah. And, you know, they really wanted to. It's it's hard to guess. Yeah. There are thousands oh, and yeah. thousands of varieties of apples. Yeah. It's it like identifying be. Japanese maples. Yeah. yeah. Which <laughs> one is it? I don't know. So I, w- I would say that if you wherever you live and in whatever community, whatever microclimate you are on the coast. You know, if you're up the river, if you're on the Washington side of the river, if you're down in Seaside, wherever, if there's a fruit tree that's producing in your area and it's producing well, you know, maybe knock on the door of that house and see if they know what it is and ask. Even without identifying, of course, we Uh all hope we could identify so that we can possibly Mm -hmm. source others or or Mm -hmm. that naming is nice. I think Mm -hmm. the naming is nice. So you can call it by its name. But that saving of some of these old varieties, Mm -hmm. like out on 202, yeah, you see it. You see, you see them dotted around, and and, and I'm sure some of them are great cider apples. Mm-hmm. Be- and I'm sure people were making cider out there. <laughs> <laughs> you see it as you're driving out to your place. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's one. Oh, oh, there's another. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like wherever I go in this region, you know, depending on the time of year, you're like, oh wow, look, there's a big fruit tree that's got loaded with something. And I think it's it's just a way also of getting to know the people in your community, getting to know your neighbors. 
you know, be curious, be a little nosy. I mean, they may not know what it is, but they might. They might. And yeah. it also is And they great. might give you a basket. They might. <laughs> um, and it's good to know, because people have also been planting fruit trees here, I would say, you know, for the last 20, 30 years. And so by this time, they're starting to produce. And you're seeing a lot more Asian pears here. I, for me, a rule of thumb is, has been, as I've understood it, that the European pears don't seem to do as well no. out here. But the Asian pears. But the Asian pears do great. And there's hundreds of varieties yeah. of Asian pears. Yeah. They're so delicious. They're crunchy. They have a beautiful pear flavor. They're great for juicing. They're great for cider. Mm-hmm. I had some Asian pear ciders yeah. year before last that were just mm-hmm. fantastic, sweet, mm-hmm. real sweet, like candy or yeah. something. Yeah, and just gorgeous fruits and productive. Those yeah. are great. It's funny, um, a lot of stone fruit is not supposed to do well out here. Things like peaches and nectarines you don't usually see growing mm-hmm. out here. And I had always lumped cherries into that thinking, well, cherries aren't going to do well out here. But but I know of a, at least a couple of really productive yeah. cherry trees here in Astoria, and I've heard tell of them in other areas, too. And sometimes maybe it's more that the birds get to them first. Exactly, exactly. But it's possible. And I, there are, I've seen pie cherry trees, older trees. I've seen older trees, and mm-hmm. I've seen some newer trees that are producing, mm-hmm. that are tasty. And, yeah. and I think the bing is one of them that mm-hmm. does okay around here. Yeah. Um, Linda Brim can always talk about varieties mm-hmm. and, and sh- I see her getting in not just the standard varieties but yeah. kind of branching out and coming up soon this in uh, winter time is when bare root fruit exactly. trees start to show up and this is a really um, economic way to acquire trees um, or, or cane cane berries mm-hmm. or different types of fruit yeah. or strawberries and this is basically when the trees are dormant um, which is around this time of year they're dug up and and basically sold just as like a, a stick with the bare roots uh-huh. on it and you have to be careful with it because you don't want the roots to dry out yeah. so it is is thing where if you're not going to plant it in the ground you right away you want to heal it in right away um, when you wanna, you get which, home. and he, explain what healing it in means <laughs> well healing it in is is putting it in something that's not it's a temporary home it's a temporary so maybe home. burying it in a pile of compost burying it or, in a pile of compost um, oftentimes they'll come with shredded newspaper if you're if you're ordering mm-hmm. um, bare root trees and they're shipped to you um, make Making a, a nice little indention in one of your garden beds that's free for the winter mm-hmm. um, and, and popping those in. You can even put mm-hmm. some of that paper in with them and then cover them up. Mm-hmm. They don't want to stay there forever. No. But that's a, a good little holding pattern for a Absolutely. minute. And plums, I think, are also a good thing to grow here, too. Yeah. Um, Italian plums, I hear yeah, a lot of. Yeah, the Italian of. plums. And I hear that those trees are not... Um, Long-lived trees, but uh, Nehalem Valley, I saw some beautiful, um, really uh, prolifically producing uh, Italian plums. Yeah. And again, I think it's just looking around, asking around, asking neighbors, asking people who've lived here a long time what's growing. And um, and it it could also mean that you walk away with some harvest as well, um, because sometimes people have fruit trees that overwhelm them and they can't take everything from their fruit tree. So maybe you don't need to plant a fruit tree in your garden. Maybe you can just like knock on all your neighbor's doors (laughs) and do the gleaning for them and pick up the apples or fruits or plums or whatever that's falling on the ground for them. And that can be, you know, a great way to build community in your area as well. Um, I think too about the, the berries that seem to do well here. I know blueberries are a classic. They seem to really like our climate. We seem to be doing well with raspberries. 
Mm-hmm. Kiwi some... fruit also is something yes. that ridiculous. It seems like such a tropical fruit, but it likes to grow in our area. And I would only say that think about it before you plant them because they are monster. They really are. Vines. I know on the south slope, those larger, the larger kiwis, um, mm-hmm. you usually need a male and a female. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are bearing a lot of fruit, but the ripening process is not. They're staying yeah. kind of hard. Yeah. And they're interesting. And I see people making jelly from them. And I see people using them for desserts and mm-hmm. things. Um, yeah. But those smaller. The kiwi self, berries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The kiwi berries or the smaller smooth skin kiwi that's mm-hmm. uh, like the Japanese kiwi that's self-pollinating mm-hmm. rather than needing a male and a female. Yeah. But I would also just like be cautious about that and really look into where you're going to plant it because... Um, very yes. aggressive rooters. They will spread. They will run. They will run up into cedar trees. You will yeah. have to prune them three times a year if they're happy. <laughs> exactly. And those are, I mean, that's where doing your homework, doing your research can really pay off. Because sometimes I think we like the idea of growing something. And like, oh, I really want to plant this. And, and you'll plant a whole bunch of them. Or you won't realize how much room a plant needs. Yes. And, you know, like our friend Corinne's garden, where she has fruit trees that are just like three feet apart from each other. Yeah. And it's like clearly like they're they're never all going to survive. You're going to have to take some of them out. Um, but I think sometimes people could just get excited and it's like, well, I want one of these, one of these, one of these, one yeah. of these. And all of a sudden you've got like what should take up, you know, a huge orchard and you've got it all in your like 20 foot square exactly. front yard. Exactly. And really thinking about uh, same same rules as always. Mm-hmm. Really thinking about mature size. Mm-hmm. Really walking the drip line of mm-hmm. that mature size. And, and a drip line would be like the 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 eventual size of the tree. Like how exactly. big is the tree going to grow? Exactly. And if if it's going to be like basically twenty feet across. Yeah. So exactly. that's the space you and need then you to need leave some for room it. in a row that mm-hmm. you can actually mow through. Yeah. And that that and and we started talking about this honestly, I think because we were thinking about things that we're doing right now and some of the things we're doing right now are plotting and planning yeah. new plants, um, new new perennials, but thinking about this is a great time of year to think about if you want a smaller little mm-hmm. tiny home orchard, yeah. if you want a berry patch to be thinking about wh- where do I want that? Is this a, a feasible site to have it? Do I have mm-hmm. enough space? Mm-hmm. And, and doing a little bit of, you know, sketching out, Absolutely. putting some stakes around. And if you get to a point where you're thinking, okay, I know where I want these things. Mm-hmm. I have the space. I kind of mm-hmm. have things laid out. I've moved things around. Start prepping your areas now. Yeah. And how would you prep an area? You know, if I was thinking about planting fruit trees, you could either cut sod in that drip line or you could go ahead and start smother mulching over the top of that in some of the same mm-hmm. ways that we've talked about before we're preparing new beds where you're using cardboard leaf mulch spent grain newspaper newspaper turbo grow chip and maybe thinking about your chip thinking about alders or maples or something like that that would be more beneficial to the fruit trees and mm-hmm. actually feed the soil and just really getting a nice thick layer yes. of that to kill the sod and yeah. start to prepare a situation where you can dig down and get that fruit tree planted. Yeah. 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 I think that's a great thing to do. What's the big machine people use? The big, the router? It's not a router. 
a post hole digger? Or is that like, what it is? <laughs> well, I mean, not I everyone. See, not everyone's going to have one of those. Mostly, it's going to be you and a shovel, which can be a humbling experience. I see people rent those. Though, yeah, you can for absolutely. the orchard process, depending mm-hmm. on your soil, to be able to break up a little bit deeper than you might be able to go. Yeah, with a, it, depending on how many trees you're planting. Exactly, I know, and it's. I think again, like this time of year, it's winter. A lot of the trees have lost their leaves. You're really starting to see the structure of your garden. You can kind of see, like, and it's a good time to think about, like, what do I want to move? Yeah. What do I want to take out? What do I want to add? Do some research on varieties. You know, it's a good thing to maybe contact your local master gardeners. They often have research of lists of varieties of berries and trees that, mm-hmm. that do well in this region. Um, you know, talk to, to nurseries that sell fruit stock um, and and ask them about, you know, what are the ones that they get good feedback on that people have had success with? And then start thinking about, like, where are you going to source those plants? Because yeah. they often will sell out early. The ones that do well in your region, you know, if you want those varieties, I was just looking, start making a yeah, commitment now. I was now. just looking at the Rain Tree and One Green World websites. Mm. And we have many uh, amazing local sources for these mm-hmm. things. But sometimes you might want a persimmon. Mm-hmm. Or a special variety of quince, or that one crab apple that you saw at the English couple's house. <laughs> <laughs> and and getting in those websites, they are doing pre-orders for yeah. spring delivery for the bare root. Yeah. So I mean, you can't. I mean, planning is so key in a garden, and I feel like it's it's a lesson that has been very hard learned for me. Yeah. About taking the time to plan, taking the time to think about things, taking the time to do your research first before you just get out there with your shovel and start digging. And I've always been the whole like, well, let's just get started and then oh, we'll yeah. figure it out as oh, we go yeah. along. I'm going to move that about five times. Yeah. <laughs> and I maybe it's just because I'm older and my knees don't work as well. <laughs> I'm way more inclined to like sit by the fire with my catalogs and a, and a big piece of paper and start planning. Yeah. And realize I, I just want to dig this hole once. And hopefully I just want to plant this tree And that's once. part of cultivating curiosity about your garden, being curious and sitting there and, and actually doing I'm the- always curious. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm too curious. I don't know. And it's still hard to constrain yourself. But I just, yeah, I just want to encourage people to think about these things this year. Think about your garden as habitat. Think about what can you add. Think about not tidying mm-hmm. up too much. These orchards could be, or these small horn orchards or, or mm-hmm. larger orchards. Some of these will provide areas that are not being disturbed for the ground bees and, and mm-hmm. beetles of, and other things that yes, are key. Yeah, exactly. it's all of those things. There's ways that we can produce food in our region, mm-hmm. you know, for ourselves, for our neighbors, for our community, for our wildlife. Yes. Um, and... And also enjoy something beautiful exactly. in your garden and yeah. just being thoughtful about it. And, th- and, and just exactly what you're saying, thinking about a certain percentage for the wildlife, yeah. for the pollinators. It's okay to not pick every one of those apples. I'm really enjoying watching the birds come to those fermenting crab apples that I left <laughs> that I didn't press in my front yard. I bet they're enjoying them too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And the deer. Yeah. I mean, it's all part of it, too. Um, I think, like, you know, letting go of those things and not trying to control it too much is a wonderful instinct. So I know. A lesson we can take from nature. Absolutely. Well, I I now am sort of looking forward to this stormy afternoon where I can think about these things and start making lists and and plan and – and looking forward too to getting out and starting to prep those areas where trees are going to go and yeah, and not being afraid when we get those little weather breaks to just pop out and yeah. but, you know we were just saying you know prepping areas straw 
Yeah, straw is a good one too. A I great know. one, you know. If I you know. Want to just go ahead and kill that greenery and get yeah. yourself a, a place yeah. that you can plant. So get yourself a big stack of catalogs and a little note paper and a cup of tea and hopefully a cozy fire to sit next to. Sounds so good. Yeah. And uh, and start planning about next year. It's going to be great. I know. Yeah. Jessica, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. This is so fun to do. And, and, and we'll be doing a lot more of these conversations in the coming year. So I'm excited so about this. Quick. They do. I know. And we thanks, Joanne, for your engineering and for all the weather updates you've been giving everyone. We really appreciate it. It's it's so helpful. Thanks. So, I even have more. Oh, hey, I'm excited. <laughs> I, am I excited? Maybe I'm not excited. Anyway, thanks for joining us. And we'll see you in the new year. Thanks. Happy, happy holidays. Happy holidays and, and happy new year. Yeah. <laughs>